Hey, this is Danny And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I've Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. So today I wanted to ask you, Samantha, I'd be very interested to know the answer to this question. Has there ever been something that you really loved as a kid and then people made you feel really embarrassed or ashamed of loving it? And then as you got older, maybe you didn't come back to it, but you gave it like a deeper, a deeper thought. I don't know. I'm trying to think of things that I loved as a kid, but I don't know if I ever felt shame of it necessarily. I mean, we could go real deep into the fact that trying to be very away from my culture. So I was very Mm -hmm. ashamed to try to do anything that was Asian because I wanted to acclimate so badly. I know I loved Babysitter's Club, but I feel like most of my friends did. So we were cool on that. Mm -hmm. I love old movies, but it was something that I could do on my own. So no one really needed to tell me otherwise. I always felt like I was trying to fit in And so it wasn't that I loved it, but I was trying to make myself love it. Right. So I was one of those kids. So I don't don't think I do. I will say Mm -hmm. I did really love Twilight in my Mm -hmm. 30s, I guess, maybe 20s, late 20s, which there was a a bit of a shame factor. But Mm -hmm. even the people who made fun of me, when I would have them watch it or get them interested too, so they no longer felt shame. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, I no longer felt shame. I tried to <laughs> so I know I no longer felt shame because I got them into it too, so they couldn't say anything. Right. Right, right, right. So no, I don't really know. <laughs> That's a good example. Because I do feel like a lot of people shamed, especially young girls and women, for liking Twilight. Right. Yeah. It's strange because I was both my relationship with my brothers, I had two brothers, one older and one younger, was at times very antagonistic. But it's it's complicated because they both made me feel ashamed of the things I liked. Um, like, I was made fun of for liking Star Wars, even though they liked Star Wars. And I was made fun of for liking Harry Potter, even though they liked Harry Potter. But I will say on that one, not at the same level as I did. But right. they did make fun of me for liking Star Wars. But at the same time, I did, I wanted their... I don't know if respect is the right word, but almost acceptance, I guess. So when I would go, yeah, when I would go to school, I was kind of immune to, like, if people made fun of me for liking Star Wars, that didn't hurt. But my brothers did, if that makes sense, because I loved it. I was like, I know it's, I know I love it and whatever. But then in this context of, like, my brothers making fun of me, that was kind of, oh. But this is especially pertinent to the conversation we're having today, which is about the Star Wars prequels. Yep. Yep. And I'll get more into that in a second. But I did want to give a quick shout out to Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Hello. For sending us amazing care kits. Such self care kits. Kit. Yes. Yes. We really do appreciate Still it. Still eating some of the pocket sticks. <laughs> yes. Those wasabi things were the bomb. Oh, yes. Yeah. And also to Dawn who made these amazing, what i never heard of, called yarn bombs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which are these just like really big, I voted, and uh, there's a peach one that for voting in Georgia, obviously. And they, they're just so impressive. And I really yes. am impressed with the things that you listeners can do. Such talent, since such me trying talent. to crochet did not work out so well. So such talent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I guess knitting more so than crochet, but yes. Know. Either case. <laughs> so... I also want to put in here before we get into this, 
We do. A lot of you listeners have sent in suggestions for Feminist Movie Friday. And thank you so much for sending those. And also the book suggestions, because it does help us decide. Because there's a lot of books and movies out there, and we want to do things that you like. And those are on the list. I I swear we're going to get to them. (laughs) (laughs) So... I am sorry, I guess, that today we are starting off a three-part Feminist Movie Friday series on the Star Wars trilogies, starting with the prequels and building up to May the 4th, Be With You, slash Star Wars Day, and Revenge of the Fifth. Can't forget Revenge of the Fifth. I don't know that the timing will work out because I think we might have miscalculated. Did we? (laughs) I think we did. Because originally we were going to end on the original trilogy because it's my favorite. But now... If we want that one to be May the 4th be with you, that that will be the next one. We'll just have to decide. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we'll work it out. Well, I, I have faith in us. I think we, we can we'll work, work this out. out. So these are going to be a bit different in that we're focusing more on the woman at the center of each trilogy and some overarching themes as opposed to one movie. And this was Samantha's idea. I swear, I don't know if will believe me. It's true. I, it's true. We have been talking, and since I have been taking over, the last few movies have been my suggestions. I did make you watch The Mummy Returns because it brought me joy. <laughs> I thought that was a prank. <laughs> I made you watch a musical, even though those can make you uncomfortable, you know. Oh, yeah, so all but... of these things were like my choices. And I was like, you know what? We need to go back into the fandom that we know you love. And I, right now, I cannot mm-hmm. escape. You cannot no. escape. No, no one, if you are a part of our world, really can't escape. <laughs> so, Sounds kind of like, threatening. Let's just, <laughs> let's just dig in. Let's just get all the way in. And I will say, um, as there is some, some light at the end of this pandemic tunnel, and I have been reflecting on, on this year in my apartment, I, I Star Wars has really got me through really in a is. lot of ways. Like... And you're not the only one. It has been my my comfort, like the thing that I watch, the like reading. I've watched all the shows, um, which I hadn't before, and I don't know that I ever would have. And I feel like much more qualified to talk about this now. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, okay, I got this. I've been reading the comics. Like it's really been when I look back at quarantine, I think one of the like memories I'm gonna have is just Star Wars being a constant like stress reliever. <laughs> I think you're going to like, it's going to be one of those things when you watch it after the quarantine is lifted and we're all kind of figuring out the new normal. Right. That every time you're watching it, you're going to have that sentimental feeling of that comfort from this time. Yeah, I think so. I was wondering what that's going to be like to watch these outside of this. But because in case I haven't mentioned it before, I have watched the original trilogy at least every Sunday since last March 13th. So that's a lot. <laughs> but yes. I do other stuff while they're on, but they're like my thing that I put on. Comforting. You say that you do other stuff, but there's definitely those moments where you cannot be touched or yeah. talked to because you're uh-huh. just <gasps> like, like the yeah. audible gasps that happen to you, even though I know this is your one million two hundred thousand sixty eight <laughs> whatever time yeah. that you've watched it. You mm-hmm. still get so caught up. Yeah, there's like six scenes that I I cannot be disturbed. Uh, (laughs) And they still have an emotional impact, which I find really, really interesting. But yeah, I did want to say it was really funny to me when you were like, oh, these will be really easy for you. I want to research it. And I was mentally like, oh, I got to read these books and I got to do this and I got to do this. (laughs) Try not to panic. Yeah, you make the mistake of telling me what you're thinking about writing. I'm like, no, you can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I had to stop myself on this one. So it's a bit shorter. I was very impressed. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to read those three books, uh, the the trilogy about Padme, who's, who we're going to be talking about today. But alas, the time ran out. So other Star Wars women are definitely going to be featuring in our segment, sub-segment, fictional women around the world. So never fear or have fear. I don't know. <laughs> I think it'll help for people who, you know, if you want to know more about Ahsoka Tano, but don't necessarily want to watch all the shows and everything, I think they'll be good primers. I always come to you for those. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I know you did like a very massive two-parter on Princess Leia already, but we're going to mix it up. I swear, I swear, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> so let's go ahead and jump in. Yes, today we're talking about the much maligned Star Wars prequel trilogy, and I understand it. I'm like, what is happening? Why is this happening? I think I said that a lot. The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. And their main female character, Padme Naberi, Queen Amidala, played by Natalie Portman. She was like 16, 17. We were looking this up the other day. Yeah, this was like her when first she big... This. Like big role because she done other stuff, but like well, like she was pretty big beforehand with the hitman or the no, professional, the, the professional, which yeah. is one of my favorite movies. Uh, so bonus discussion of related comics, television shows, and video games. Not surprisingly, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I also want to say that it's become a running joke with Samantha that she agrees with one of the worst lines in all the movies. I don't like Sam. He's not wrong. <laughs> Sand is not great. That's. It gets everywhere. He is so right. And I will hold to that. <laughs> All right. So here's the plot of these three movies in a nutshell. So we follow Anakin Skywalker's journey from young child to troubled Jedi, groomed by super creeper Senator Palpatine slash the Emperor to Darth Vader. And I had this poster in my wall when I was a kid. And it was the young actor who plays Anakin Skywalker when he's like nine. And his shadow was Darth Vader, and I thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Darth Vader being Luke and Leia's father in the original trilogy. We see the destruction of the brotherhood between Anakin and his uh, master and friend, Obi-Wan Kenobi. The intense love he has for Queen and later Senator Padme Amidala that in part leads him to fall to darkness and to evil. We see Padme's death and Luke and Leia's separation so that they can be hidden from the Emperor and Vader. There are tax disputes and lava battles and so many lost limbs. Thoughts on sand, yes. Very awkward dialogue, which George Lucas has now said was on purpose, which I find very funny. The very problematic racist tropes. And also a lot of quite sad deaths and deaths of children. Yeah, and very weird water scenes. <laughs> <laughs> for those who, for whatever reason, weren't plugged into the world of Star Wars when this came out, much like myself, there was so much hype. I do remember people getting really, really, really excited, especially when yeah. they were announcing the actors who would be portraying whomever. Mm -hmm. And these movies were coming out 16 years after the last movie of the original trilogy. Really hard to do, which was The Return of the Jedi or Episode 6, which is very confusing. And I have to ask constantly, what? Yeah. what? Wait, huh? Uh -huh. Yeah. When does this take place? It's Lots of confusing. timelines. <laughs> Lots of timelines. The original trilogy had just been re-released in 1997, which, by the way, is happening again, right? Is it? No, oh I thought. I thought no, no. So, no. I thought they were re-releasing it soon. Maybe uh, I'm wrong. Well, there was an odd thing that I never got to the bottom of last Christmas, where they were they were trailers on YouTube videos that were acting as if um, the most recent movie, Rise of Skywalker, was coming out in theaters again. And I was very confused because it came out a year before. I don't know about the original trilogy. I know Empire Strikes Back is one of the top grossing movies of 2020 because right. they were showing it 
old movies and drive-ins and and stuff like <laughs> that. Uh, I do. I saw this when I was a kid. Delonica had a really small movie theater called the Holly, and I went just to go see the re-releases at the Holly. And it definitely violated fire code because people were just standing in there. It was <laughs> packed and it was the coolest thing. But those are the versions. This also confuses Samantha so much. And I'm like, well, that's the Disney Plus version. And that's this. These are the ones that most people probably own. The 1997 re-releases. That's when George Lucas put in kind of this bad CGI in yes. these older movies. That was foretelling of what was to happen in The Phantom yes. Menace. <laughs> yes, and I did watch all of those guys. Mm-hmm. I watched all of them. Mm-hmm. So... Fans were pumped to see how Hero, Anakin Skywalker, became Darth Vader. And then they weren't good, apparently. I I didn't enjoy them myself, but I just assumed it's because I don't love Star Wars like everyone else does. And maybe I'm just a little more skeptical. I don't know. There were parts of them that were good, and there really was no way they could have lived up to the hype. But apparently they just weren't very good. I mean, that was the consensus. Yeah. People were let down. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, the hype was very, very intense. And I will say I was 11. I think when the first installment, The Phantom Menace, came out in 1999. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I saw it several times in theaters. I had the toys, including one of my favorite toys of all time to this day, which was this droid. And you had a lightsaber with this tracking mechanism. And it would shoot out these disc at you and you had to hit him with your lightsaber. Okay. The coolest. It was the coolest. I also spent $20 trying to get an Anakin Skywalker toy from a, a claw machine and I'm sure I could have just bought the toy for like $6. <laughs> um, yeah, I had I had the cards. I had all of the cards, um, the books, the shirts, the posters. Oh, my friends and I, I was thinking about this the other day. We were in high school when Revenge of the Sith came out, which was the last one. And we all had shirts made and went in our matching Revenge of the Sith shirts to go see it. And I am still friends with every one of those people to this day. Yeah. Oh, and then I won this really, really cool backpack that I gave away. I'm so mad I gave it away. But it did become very, very uncool almost immediately. But I was shielded by my, like, child innocence uh, to, like, the prequels. So I gave all of this stuff away, and now I'm sad about it. The soundtrack was the first CD I ever bought. And, you know, despite being much maligned, people complaining and the reviews not being great, these movies did make a lot of money. And they were kids' movies, and I think that they succeeded in that way. Not that they were necessarily good, but I I personally think there's a whole generation of kids out there that grew up with the prequels and didn't have that level of expectation or nostalgia for the original trilogy. And they might even prefer the prequels. And we've talked about how toxic fandom can be in Star Wars. Largely dude fans of Star Wars can be really, really intense and some of the worst, in my opinion, when it comes to this. So the backlash was quite furious and vitriolic. And I think we sometimes forget that as beloved as they are, the original trilogy are kids' movies too. So it's it's like kids who grew up with the original trilogy and loved it, became adults, went in to see these prequels, and I theorized, forgot that they're for kids. <laughs> right. Um, like, ideally, adults would like them too, but... And yeah, they weren't good in a lot of ways, but people were pissed, pissed. Uh, and yeah, I got made fun of a lot for liking them. Recently, the prequels have been getting some love, or at least not outright hate, as time has passed. <laughs> right. So, yeah, a lot of things are coming back up with the fact that Obi-Wan Kenobi is about to get his own little show, right? Yep. Uh-huh. And then we're going to see uh, 
Anakin Skywalker again coming yeah. through. So apparently they're getting some kind of love. Yeah. Who knows? <laughs> so Padme. Let's talk about Padme Naberi, who is not only in the movies, but apparently in the comics, which you've been telling me a lot about. I have. <laughs> also, the animated series, The Clone Wars, you also told me about that. Mm-hmm. And books like the recent Queen's Hope by E.K. Johnston. Her name Padme means lotus flower, while Amidala might mean beautiful flower, and Nabari means mother of twins. Little on the right nose there. there. <laughs> and I did want to include this for you specifically, Samantha, because you recently, you didn't make fun of me, but you kind of teased me about this fan fiction I was reading about Luke owning a flower shop. <laughs> and you're like, it doesn't make sense. And I was like, well, what? It doesn't have to make sense. It's fan fiction. But flowers were a key part of his history. Well, I was just saying, wouldn't he be an actual like teacher of sorts? Have well, a school? He, he did. He was both. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so... It just didn't seem plausible to me. I think you're just trying to pick on me and rile me up. (laughs) (laughs) So Padme is a human woman from the planet Naboo where she ruled as the democratically elected queen when she was 14. She served as a member of the Galactic Senate during the last year of the Republic. One of her most defining traits is her political idealism and dedication to democracy. Padme knew early on that she was interested in helping people through politics. At the age of seven, she participated in a failed relief effort that only strengthened her determination to help people through public service. When we are first introduced her in Phantom Menace, so she does appear earlier than this, confusingly in the extended universe. Star Wars is very, very messy in that way. But the first time most people were acquainted with her in Phantom Menace, she is 14, and she spends much of the film undercover, in quotes, as a handmaiden to the Queen Amidala. And Amidala is Padme's name as queen. Queens of Naboo have a detail of trained lookalikes that serve as protectors, among other things, and that's the movie I want to see. But so she's, one of these lookalikes is pretending to be Queen Amidala, while the actual Queen Amidala, Padme, is pretending to be a handmaiden. Makes perfect sense. Got it. Mm-hmm. And she she accompanies the Jedi Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan Kenobi and meets her future secret husband, Anakin Skywalker, who is a nine-year-old enslaved child on the planet of Tatooine at the time. Padme is confident with the blaster and in her leadership, and she was a much-beloved political figure on her planet and an inspiration for many After serving two terms as queen, the people tried to amend the Constitution so she could serve again, but she declined. However, thanks to her manipulative colleague, Sheev Palpatine, the emperor, the future emperor, and her desperation to save her people, she initiated the vote of no confidence that made the way for Palpatine to rise to the role of Supreme Chancellor. As a senator, Padme was a pivotal figure in the separatist crisis, um, proving herself to be a skilled negotiator and speaker, quick on her feet, and competent in combat situations. She aligned herself with Senators Organa and Mon Mothma, who influenced her politics and would later go on to be leaders of the Rebel Alliance. And Belle would go on to raise her daughter, Leia. So, again, like, imagine as you're seeing these... If you knew the original trilogy well, you were seeing like, oh, it's that person, it's that mm-hmm. person. So I can totally understand if people are listening like, what are you talking about? But Mon Mothma and Bail Organa are kind of these big figureheads of the rebellion. And even if it's not happening at that time, you know kind of what they're going to become. 
Padme had her, her fair share of enemies, and an assassination attempt forces her to go into hiding with none other than Jedi Anakin Skywalker, who at this point, he's 19 and she's 24, so a little older. Um, they fall in love, but the Jedi Code forbids possession and attachment. Oh, don't get me started on the Jedi Code. After a Coliseum battle in which Padme resourcefully picks a lock but then has one of the silliest tearing of costumes that results in like this perfect crop top that I've ever seen, she and Anakin secretly marry a marriage that later has galactic repercussions. Because of her involvement in politics from a young age, she doesn't get to live outside of that structure that much, and she longs for freedom, something of her own. You do see that in the comics and the books, um, and that's one of the reasons for the secret marriage is she wanted something of her own. Also, she was quite young and in love. Yeah, very young. Uh, yeah, due to their responsibilities during the Clone Wars, and I've been just told that it is not the movie or the anime series, but a time period. It's both. Ah. <laughs> What happens during it's the Clone all of Wars? It. So I'm yeah. trying to get my bearings. Anakin and Padme did not get much time together, as we saw. And we see the flaws in their relationships. Lots of secrets. Mm -hmm. And the strain, again, of keeping a secret. I feel like that's just a cautionary tale for all the movies. Padme's first priorities are her ideals and democracy. This changes when she finds out she is pregnant, something that will make hiding her relationship with Anakin even more difficult. Surprise, surprise. Mm -hmm. Although she does wear the really big gown. She does. However, both are thrilled at the news. Aw, babies. Soon after the revelation, Anakin begins having visions of Padme and their child's death, something he is desperate to prevent. He learns that Palpatine is a Sith Lord, and he promises that by using the dark side, he'll be able to save his wife and their baby. Lies! <laughs> he succumbs to the dark side and ignores Padma's pleas for him to come back, strangling her into unconsciousness. At a secret medical center, a weird medical center, she gives birth to Luke and Leia. Surprise, twins! She dies of heartbreak, which I still find hard to believe. Or perhaps, more likely, Palpatine killed her, proclaiming with her dying breath that she knows they're still good in Anakin, who by now has assumed his identity as Darth Vader. We get to see that whole big scene. Mm -hmm. Believing his wife and child to be dead at his hands which is still, I'm still trying to figure that one out. The Republic she fought so hard for is destroyed and replaced by the Empire with her husband functioning as its enforcer. In the wake of her death, Padme becomes a symbol of democracy and later the rebellion itself. Her children went on to play a major role in dismantling the Empire, as we know, and restoring democracy and in the end, the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. Oh my gosh, this is one of those things... Sometimes when I, and I know I've talked to you about this before with like The Last of Us, Samantha, sometimes when you just write out a plot and you take away all the like clunky dialogue and just get to the bare bones what the story is, not the case of The Last of Us, but in this, it's so sad. <laughs> that is a sad tale. And we're going to, we're going to get into some of these, these sad elements and feminist elements. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Thank you, sponsor. Since it is a big part of this, I did want to ask, do you think you could do a secret marriage, Samantha? Um, funny story, I have a friend who got married and never told her parents. It's not necessarily a secret to anybody else who is close to them, but mm -hmm. her parents still think she's not married. 
And she's been able to pull it off. And I'm still baffled by this. Wow. Personally, I don't know if... Because I just don't care about marriage for, for me mm-hmm. personally. So I don't know if I would care enough to like, try secret marriage. That just seems like extra effort. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I say this in today's yeah. society where it's okay just to be together and mm-hmm. just to be in a partnership. And I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, why would I go to the trouble of having a marriage if I'm keeping it a secret? If I don't care to be married? So right. why? <laughs> so I don't know. Would you? Uh... I mean, similarly, I don't really want to get married. But if I was in a situation where I did, I I can see how the strains of it, and especially not being able to communicate those like strains with other people or in front of other people, would make it very difficult and resentment could build. Or just like not... Because you're not communicating honestly with other people. So I can see how that would really mess up your communication in that relationship. And you wouldn't ever quite be sure. I mean, obviously, if you had a healthy relationship, you would be secure and like, okay, this is fine. But I think the very fact of keeping it a secret feels like it's not fine in some way. Right. I think my friend who is in, and this is a completely different tone, it's not necessarily she's trying to keep it a secret. It's just she's just not telling everyone. Sure. And doesn't care to. Yeah. End of story. Right. Yeah, and this is obviously like a intergalactic space war situation where they're both in, they have responsibilities to a larger entity right. that uh, puts a lot of pressure on them. <laughs> I mean, I guess this could be a tale of like, yes, they're in love, but also their young teenagers are being told they can't be in love. So yeah. a double like, oh! <gasps> yeah, yeah, that's true. And there is a lot of trauma behind a, a lot of their decisions, which we'll talk about in a in a minute. But I did want to put in here because there's this recent TikTok story, like a TikTok user used math to suggest that Padme is the strongest character in Star Wars based on the scene in Attack of the Clones when Padme jumps from the top of this really tall pole onto a reek, which is kind of like a big rhino thing, and doesn't even flinch. The user, um, Shaylee, calculated how much force that would put on the body and then argued from there that it makes her the strongest character. And you and I discussed that in our most yes. recent viewing. Because <laughs> I was like, ow. Because we watched this for this upcoming episode. Yeah. And I was like, ow, how does that not hurt? A, B. Right. Also, she is one of the only ones who can actually hit people yeah. with her uh, guns. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what is wrong with everybody else? Why are these laser guns so bad? <laughs> You've heard my theories, but that's a different time. <laughs> and she's, she's badass in a lot of ways. She's intelligent, compassionate, curious, determined. She's capable. She's brave. She's a good leader. She champions things like the anti-slavery campaign. But yes, in a lot of ways, the movies especially did her wrong. And one of the big ways, in my opinion, is blaming women. Because there's this narrative of her being the cause of Anakin's fall to the dark side. And some of that comes from outside interpretations. So a lot of write-ups blame Padme. Sometimes not explicitly, but the language is pretty pretty implicit, for the fall of the Republic and rise of the Empire because of her secret marriage to Anakin that pushed him to fall. But I think it takes two to tango friends, and she's not responsible for his actions in the end. Um, They were both young and in love, and they made mistakes. But it is not solely on her that he became dark. (laughs) 
Right. She was young. And I keep talking about that as well when she was elected. And I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that. And she admits she believes she might not have been ready. We do see that. And through her evolution, we see her mature, holding on to her idealism, but learning when to compromise. Although she did compromise in things that maybe she shouldn't have. Yeah. Still, she was young when she died. Uh, and plenty of older male folks in the film deserve some of the blame for what happened. Again, her death just seems silly to me in this movie. I know it had to happen for like right. the development of the plot, but like, really? This is how you're going to kill her off? Okay. <laughs> and they were all fooled and manipulated by the emperor. However, many paint her as a simple love interest that ruined everything. Women. Uh-uh. <laughs> how? Uh, so it's another example of something we see and discuss a lot in our entertainment. A woman's death jump-starting a male character story. In this case, Darth Vader's. Yeah. Um, even Anakin believes she has betrayed him for Obi-Wan Kenobi which leads him to attack her. She begs him to come back to raise their child together, which is exactly why he joined the dark side in the first place, um, to protect them. But he refuses, arguing uh, instead they could overthrow the emperor and rule the galaxy together, ignoring the fact that that's what she dedicated her whole life to fighting against, dictatorship. He's so overcome with the fear of losing her, of being powerless, that he loses her and serves a new master enslaved to the dark side. That's something else that eroded the trust between Padme and Anakin, his closeness to Palpatine, especially given how dedicated she was to the Republic in preventing that slow creep of emergency powers and militarism. There are even scenes where she comes in and he chooses to stand by Palpatine and not her when they're, like, arguing. So, some people have said that this kind of complex, convoluted thing is why these movies aren't as satisfying because they aren't the simple good versus bad Star Wars myth stories we're used to. Like, don't get me wrong, the original trilogy has a lot of complex layers to it. But in the end, it's kind of like, these are the bad guys, these are the good guys. <laughs> like, you know, the lines in these are blurrier. The characters don't know who exactly they're fighting. We do as the audience. It makes it really frustrating, but they don't. The good guys and these make catastrophic mistakes that lead to tragedy and darkness. Which, watching these in the era of Trump, hit differently, I gotta say. Yeah. Mm. I definitely, definitely heard that, like, the Stormtrooper uh, march a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, apparently... Annie, you told me this, and I'm going to go ahead and relay it. There was a whole scrapped plot line that Padme actually was more Force-sensitive than Anakin during her pregnancy with Luke and Leia. Eh, Interesting. Mm -hmm. Our uh, other scrapped endings had Padme leaving Anakin to start the rebellion. Um, Apparently, there's a deleted scene where she joins up with Bell Organa and Mon Mothma to create the alliance to restore the public. But how does that go with the fact that Leia is supposed to be adopted by... Organa. I think she was still going to die, but she had this scene of like, I'm going to set this up. So oh. she started it and then okay. died. Mm-hmm. Or even trying to kill him when she realizes what he's become, which I feel like the big clue was when he killed that entire uh, population of people, of creatures, including the children and the women, and he admits it and was okay with it. Like he cried, but he's like, it felt good. Yeah. It's like, 
in vengeance of his mother. I was like, that seems like that's a huge sign. So it's a red no? flag. Nobody? <laughs> it's Nobody? A red okay. Flag. <laughs> There's many red <laughs> flags with him. And while Padme does get to do her fair share of ass kicking, she certainly does more ass kicking than I, I'm used to seeing from Queens and Sinners, especially as a kid when I was watching these. She does end up needing quite a bit of rescuing too. And or you see her in a fair amount of distress. So in that crop top incident in the second movie, (laughs) which I want to include the description from Star Wars Wiki fandom of that, quote, this tore the waistband and up her clothing and Amidala screamed and sobbed in pain as tears trickled down her cheek. I don't remember the sobbing in pain. She definitely screamed. There was no crying. (laughs) But anyway... Anakin is the one that ultimately comes to her rescue. She falls out of their transport and falls unconscious soon after that. There are plenty of instances of her being captured or poisoned or what have you in the show. Though, to be fair, she does find a way out herself fairly regularly. There's also a really weird kind of creepy plotline with an ex of hers and a really jealous Anakin that feels like... Because most of that show does feel, oh, this is very much for children. In that episode, I was like, whoa, (laughs) this is pretty dark and weird. And she spends a good portion of the third movie crying and in emotional distress that ultimately kills her. We're going to get into some... Some people have a different interpretation of that in a minute. But, um, and you know, it was very devastating. A lot of very bad things were happening. But still, she did spend most of the movie kind of just crying. So speaking of heartbreak and her death, this is probably one of the most galling things about her storyline, that she dies of heartbreak after giving birth to her children. With everything we know about her, it seems like she would fight like hell to protect them. And there is a part of me that gets the romantic, in heavy quotes, aspect of it, that she was so in love with Anakin and that knowing what he did and what he'd become and how he destroyed, in part, what she'd worked so hard to better and to preserve, that it killed her. But it just feels like such a cop-out. And every time I watch these movies, if you take away the silliness, yeah, and that awkward dialogue and clunky extraneous storylines. I'm really taken aback by how sad they are. But she was strong. Like, I feel like she would have, she would have fought. But all that being said, some have pointed out that it's never confirmed in canon. It's never officially been confirmed that she died of heartbreak. And in fact, it's heavily implied that the emperor killed her from afar with his dark magic powers. Because how did he know she was dead when he told Darth Vader? That's like one of the big things. The medbot treating her says she has lost the will to live, which could be heartbreak or, I guess, dark force powers that a robot doesn't know about. <laughs> Fair. And again, we are focusing on Padme today, but because we do talk a lot about trauma and grooming on the show, that plays a huge part in the fall of Anakin Skywalker. After growing up enslaved, he had to leave his mother behind to enslavement, and when he finally returns, she dies in his arms, and he's terrified of going through that pain again with Padme. You've got the Emperor grooming him and offering him a solution and whispering in his ears constantly. Yeah, Samantha knows. I'll just be like, he's a creeper, randomly. (laughs) (laughs) She does. And here I wanted to include an email we got a while back from a listener named Kale. Hi, Kale. Kale wrote about what we're talking about right here. Quote, this email is mainly for Annie because it's about Star Wars, but Samantha is free to read as well. I was listening to Movie Crush and heard you talk about how you've been watching the Clone Wars animated series and your mixed feelings about Anakin since the show humanized him so much. And I am so happy to hear that. I did not watch Star Wars as a kid and my first real exposure to the series was when my partner showed me the Clone Wars series. I mostly watch animation. 
It got me into Star Wars, and after watching the series, I went back and watched all of the movies and Rebels as well. Watching the Clone Wars really humanized Anakin in a way that hit me hard. Watching him be groomed by Palpatine, being forced to hide his relationship with Padme, and having no one to really go to about his emotions and nightmares truly made him an island. A person in such pure isolation is so easily manipulated, and so watching him fall prey to Palpatine in the prequels was so difficult for me to see. I have a lot of deep-rooted emotions about the show, Anakin and Anakin's relationships with various characters. I would not say that I forgive him of his evils, but that watching The Clone Wars and how it makes Anakin relatable gave me insight to him as a person and truly made me feel so much for him." I have written a pseudo-essay ramble about how I feel about the Jedi Order, its shortcomings when it comes to humanity, sentience, emotions, relationships, and how the rigidity of the Order is ultimately what led Anakin to choosing the dark side and becoming Vader. If you're interested, I would love to share it with you. I know that not a lot of people read into and analyze individual characters in movies and books as much as you do, and I feel a real kindredness to you and how you really see each character when talking about them on Sminty. Yes, Kale, I love this so much. I would love to read your essay. That is right up my alley and something I would do. I have thought so in depth about these characters. And yes, definitely Anakin and Darth Vader and the psychology of Darth Vader is something that I will bring up at any turn. (laughs) But that is another aspect to this as well is the show really exploring that isolation and um, the grooming and the kind of tragedy that it led to. On top of that, Padme's death haunted him for the rest of his life, haunted Anakin Darth Vader for the rest of his life. Saying her name in front of him very likely could get you killed. He never, ever emotionally recovered from it, and that turned into indiscriminate violence and rage. At one point, he encounters a ghostly visage of Padme, and when he begs her to come back to him, she kills herself instead. And that is messed up. At another point, he attempted to resurrect her with an ancient artifact and failed. Here's the quote from Johnston, author of those Padme trilogy books we mentioned earlier. I had to include this. Anakin Skywalker is a bit of a downer for me in terms of writing because everything he touches ends badly. Qui-Gon dies. His mom dies. Padme dies. The galaxy falls apart. It does not go well for people involved in Anakin Skywalker's story when he's the main character. True. A note about the handmaidens, those um, Amidala lookalikes, or the lookalikes for the queens of Naboo. They are badass, and they're kind of creepy. They take on code names. They undergo training to mimic their queen so people can't detect when one of them stands in for her, which is helped by all of Naboo's traditional makeup and clothing for queens. There's one storyline in the book, The Queen's Peril, where Padme's primary stand-in and closest handmaiden, Sabe, takes her place when pain from her period sidelines Padme. After Padme's death, Sabe is one of the leaders of a group dedicated to getting justice for Padme and finding her killer. Also, both Kira Knightley and Rose Byrne played handmaidens in the movies. Yes, I, I looked this up, and Kira Knightley was in that movie before she was in Bend It Like Beckham. Oh, oh this wow. is one of her bigger movies. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Uh huh. And along those lines of friendship among women in the show, we do see the friendship between Ahsoka Tano, Anakin's Padawan, and Padme, and we see them defend and protect each other, which is nice. It is nice. It is. So we did want to talk a bit about the legacy and symbolism of Padme. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. 
So Padme's death and legacy are felt throughout the series, almost representative of the death of the Republic. She died alongside the Republic she fought so hard for and uh, the birth of the Empire. Her children would later be so instrumental in the Empire's destruction, and they were born on or a few days after Empire Day, which is the day the Empire was born. Padme does have one of my favorite lines in the prequel trilogy. This is how liberty dies to thunderous applause. And she does become a symbol of the rebellion. In Revenge of the Sith, one of her hairstyles later is adopted as the rebel symbol. So we also see Padme's legacy live on in Leia in the costuming and hair. After the Empire's fall, Leia researches until she discovers who her mother was and is able to get her gowns shipped to her from Naboo. Nice. However... Oh, they're later stolen by an officer of the First Order, a.k.a. the New Empire. Leia's bid to be the first senator of the New Republic following in Padme's footsteps is derailed by her father's identity as Darth Vader is revealed. Leia, too, is strong-willed and determined and dedicated to public service, inspiring people to her cause. Yeah, and I will say... <laughs> It's almost a running joke. We can go card every time I mention fan fiction. In a lot of ways, fan fiction did kind of redeem a lot of the elements of these stories for me because people would write amazing, amazing works based on Padme or Padme's influence in Luke and Leia's life. And, you know, when you're watching the original trilogy, I think Luke didn't even know the name of his mother. And he's never really asking about her because he was told not to ask, but it was always like the father who was interesting him. And she was sort of this blank space throughout where it was like not even a question or even addressed. And it does feel now that you know the whole story that she's hanging there, kind of this sad ghost over the whole thing of like forgotten. And it was her, it's her that they're emulating and they don't even know it like Luke and Leia. And it was her love of this republic that fell that they're trying to restore I don't know. Looks-wise, all the main female characters in these trilogies are petite, white, dark-haired, dark-eyed women. And they are meant to resemble each other, but yeah. It's interesting, too, that you see this progression through these characters of trying to be more feminist and sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing spectacularly. Um, but if you look at the change of titles from Princess Leia to Queen Senator Amidala in these prequels to in the sequel trilogy to General Organa. Like, I think that was one of those things where they were trying to move the, the move up and, you know, sometimes succeeded and sometimes didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we see her legacy in Luke, too, who is compassionate, stubborn, idealistic, kind, and sees the good in others to a fault. Annie Cinnamon role. Aww. Luke proves Amidala's last words to be corrected. There was still good in Vader. Leia later goes through something similar with her son, Ben. Oh. <sighs> That was a weird movie. <laughs> Luke was always hopeful, and so was Padme, right until her death. That hope lived on into her children. A new hope, if you will. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> There's one reason her story is so painful. As an audience, we know what happens to her, but it's always hopeful. Yeah, she's always hopeful throughout, and you just know... Oh, this goes so terribly. You're breaking my heart, Anakin. You're going down a path I can't that. follow. That is a line that's been decreed for me because of fan fiction. People have made that into a good line for me. <laughs> Here's another quote from Johnston. That's how I got through writing the depressing tragedy that is looming at the end of this book because I know that hope endures, that good endures, and Padme believed it even right up to the end. <sighs> yeah. So I, you know, clearly I'm a big fan and you can't, 
<laughs> but maybe just my my suggestions. But I will say there is a lot of like these books. I've heard wonderful things about the comics are good. Um, the shows like if you're interested, there is material out there that did give her more of a backstory and something right. more like just strong and complex and uh, really fleshed her out as a character. I guess it does exist. Um, <laughs> but thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me have this. I feel a little teary-eyed. I'm getting a little emotional. You're hugging yourself a lot <laughs> in that like cute child, like oh, oh yay! <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm seeing that for sure. Yes, yes, they move me every time. <laughs> I tell you. So thank you for letting me go on this journey, giving me the space. And yes, we do want to hear your suggestions. I swear we have a list. We keep them, and we're going to get to them. <laughs> you can email us at stuff medium momstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I'm Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I'm Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.